All right, hymn number 77. This is our epiphany hymn that we've been working on. Uh, we're on stanza number three this evening. To us the child of hope is born. To us the child of hope is born. To us the son is given. To us the son is given. And on his shoulder ever rests. And on his shoulder ever rests. All power in earth and heaven. And it repeats it, all power in earth and heaven. All right, to us a child of hope is born. This uh, somewhat loosely quotes Isaiah, who says, to us a son is given. Um, normally you say that to a parent. Um, you have a son. A son. To you, a son is born. Um, why would you say this to someone who is not the parent? To us, Jane? Yeah, what does that mean? You're right, that's what it says. He came for us. He came for us. We were waiting for him. We were waiting. <laughs> and hope this child brings is for all of us. Very good. Very good. It's not just a benefit to the parents. Um, the benefit comes to us. And that's what it is saying. Absolutely. Um, God has given us his son, but it is given to us for our benefit. And so we've been looking forward to this. It was, not, it, it was sent to the Jews. That is, he was to be a son born in the Jewish race. And yet it was to be for the salvation of the nations. In fact, stanza two, the one we took a look at last Wednesday, talks about the gathering nations to the son of righteousness. And so describes him as a universal uh, savior for us. Um, what kind of hope do we have for, towards him? He's a child of hope. What kind of hope? Confident. A confident hope. Very good. Not a who... Maybe, I hope. And not just an emotion, it's a confidence. It's confidence, absolutely. What kind of confident hope do we have? You know, it's kind of like saying believe. You know, you kind of go, well, yeah, but, but what? What do you believe in? Um, it's not, you just got to have faith. Do you, well, faith in what? And so what's the hope in? Good. So, we've been looking for forgiveness. We know our sinful condition, so there is a hope. The hope comes, and it's a confident hope, a hope that has that fides, confides, is faith. It's a confident hope. It means it's one that we trust in. That what? He takes away sins. Um, we know that. And yet, um, we say it is by faith because so often, well, we still see our sins. Um, and we say, Lord, I know you're not going to hold it against us. Um, I know that this is the promised one, the one that the Father said was going to do that. And so he was the child of hope for those who were looking forward to him. Now that he has come for us, hmm, we've already seen him. We know who he is. Our hope is towards that which is in the future, a final deliverance from... We'll talk uh, quite a bit tonight about our sinful nature, 
uh, the, the sin of origin that, that causes sin, how that will finally be removed. We're looking forward to the hope of everlasting life. We're looking forward to uh, seeing God face to face. This is that child of hope. He's the son. It says that on his shoulder ever rests all power in earth and heaven. For something to rest upon his shoulder. What is that about? Yes. Very good. Yeah, Isaiah particularly says then the government will be upon his shoulder. Here it paraphrases that. Okay. You do have a similar where, where the Holy Spirit comes, we talked last time with the baptism, comes to remain with him, to rest upon him. Um, this almost has a even more, I'm going to say, a similar, I'm going to say like a foundation. You know, what happens? The building rests upon it. Everything depends upon him. He is the one, and his, you would say, his, bird, his, his shoulder, he holds it up. Uh, um, this is the one. Everything rests upon what he does, who he is. Uh, he is the one who has to move the entire now. It says that heaven and earth, all the power, oh, what do I have? Yeah, all power in earth and heaven rests upon him. So that if he accomplishes this, does anything stand in his way? Can anyone take it away? No. Um, this is the one who, who has it all, and so when he puts it into effect for our blessing, for our good, when the Son comes to do this for us, we know that it is well, going to happen. And for us, we say what he has done has happened, it is finished, and yet we will receive that uh, at the very end. So this epiphany... Uh, uh, him uh, continues to pull out some of these themes. Christmas, you might remember, was Jesus came in the flesh, and he had to come to the flesh of, of Mary, who is in the line of, of David the promise. In Epiphany, the one who has come in the flesh is now revealed. There's an epiphany. The light bulb comes on. Aha, what do I know? He is not just true man. He is revealed to be true God. It happens at the beginning of the Epiphany season with the baptism of our Lord. Um, heaven opens. The Father says, this is my son. Uh, it happens first Sunday after Epiphany. actually has Jesus at 12 years old in the temple. Uh, and he says, this is my Father's house. Um, and as he questions and, and gives answers and things of this sort, they go, whoa, this, this man, this one has... Uh, uh, great knowledge. Um, we get to tonight's one. Uh, there is a wedding at Cana. They run out of wine. He works a miracle. Let's see the miracles. And then finally, it's going to end up with the transfiguration, which Jesus is on a mountain with his three disciples, and he is seen 
in all his glory, he is, his figure is changed, transfigured, and we see him as he is in heaven and Moses and Elijah are there. So all of a sudden, all of these things begin to show us by his teaching, by his miracles, by his uh, uh, actions, that he is in fact true God, not just true man, but also true God. Uh, the Bible passage, uh, which we'll get to at the end here, is John uh, 1.14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then it goes on to say, and we have seen his glory. We have seen his glory. Uh, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Epiphany is seeing his glory. All right, let's do our hymn, hymn uh, 77, uh, stanza three only. To us the child of hope is born, to us the Son is given, and on his shoulder ever bears all power in earth and heaven, all power in earth and heaven. We're in the Catechism, uh, page 3, I don't know what it is, 304, 303? Okay, um, when the sacrament of baptism, there are four questions. The first one to ask us, what is it? We said there are two things that make a baptism. Those are? Water and? And the particular words are? Got it, the invocation. Two, what benefits? We talked last time, what do you get? Forgiveness of sins. Um, and from that flows everything out. Where there's forgiveness of sins, then you don't get the wages of sin, which is death. Where there's forgiveness of sins, then you don't get everlasting death, which is hell. You get heaven or everlasting salvation. So you get all of these things. Forgiveness of sins is the, is the fountain from which all of this flows. Very good. Three, we're going to take a look at questions three and four tonight. Uh, we don't have catechesis next Wednesday. They'll be painting the church, so it'll be kind of messy in here. Uh, question three and four. Three, how can water do such great things? Repeat after me. Certainly not just water. Certainly not just water. But the word of God in and with the water. Does these things. So if we're talking about baptism, we said it's water in the word. Is it the water as if somehow we had the holy water or something special, whatever? We said, no, no, no. God said he was going to use that water. It's the word of God that always does that. And he connected it with this baptism that it might be applied to us. So it's the word of God in and with the water that does this. Water normally doesn't forgive sins. Oh, it can wash off a little dirt, but not forgiveness of sins. Next part. Along with the faith which trusts the word of God in the water. Which trusts the word of God in the water. So, uh-oh, we added something to question number three. Certainly not just water, but the word of God in and with the water does these things along with the faith, which trusts this word of God in the water. Another thing is added. We call it faith. What part does faith have 
in baptism. Hmm. How can water do such great things? Well, only because what's added with it is the word. But it lets us know that it is faith, which is the receiving means, it is faith which reaches down and you might say appropriates these gifts that God has placed there in baptism. In other words, God has a promise and said, here's where you go. Faith, if I don't believe, I go, ridiculous, walk away. But if I have faith, I go, that's where I'm going to go because I trust what God said, his promise concerning the water. It's faith, next part, along with the faith which trusts this word of God in the water. Along with the faith which trusts this word of God in the water. For without God's word, the water is plain water and no baptism. But with the word of God, it is a baptism. That is a life-giving water, rich in grace, and a washing of the new birth. In the, Holy Spirit. in the Holy Spirit. As St. Paul says in Titus chapter 3. So, you take the word of God away from the water, and what do you have? Water. Um, you take that word of God away from the water and the promise that God has with it, and you take that water and you sprinkle it on a new bell to be ins installed in the belfry, and what do you have? <laughs> exactly. The point being is, apart from that, what do you got? Nothing. It does nothing. Um, it's the word of God uh, that does it. Without God's word, it's no baptism. Um, and so it is God's promise concerning it and the words itself that make it what it is. What does it become? Well, it makes some quite some big claims. Now again, just as we saw where we said, what do you get is, is uh, forgiveness of sins. Now we said that, that results in so many other things. Um, when it says, how can it do such things? Well, because God put a promise there. And so now we're going to go back to God's word and see what the promise is. It calls it a life-giving water. Now, once again, this is a spiritual life-giving. It gives eternal life. Ah, it's a life-giving water. Um, we did talk, I think, uh, maybe Karen mentioned last time, listen, water actually sustains life physically in this world. You need it. So it, it, I guess it wouldn't... Or, it, somebody said it. And then they said, hey, that wouldn't surprise us then that God would say, listen, I'm going to use this water in a special way uh, to give everlasting eternal life. It's a life-giving water. It goes on to say it is rich in grace. Rich, that is, there's an abundance of what? Well, when we say grace, we're talking about God. We're talking about, um, if you say graciousness, what's happening? Someone who is very gracious, they are giving out their gifts freely. 
they are uh, pouring it out upon us. So we say, this is rich in God's gracious gifts. He gives out lots of gifts in holy baptism. Uh, rich in grace. And it is, and here's a, what they call a mixed metaphor. You use two things. It's a washing of the new birth. <laughs> washing. First of all, we got the washing imagery. Washing normally has the imagery of dirt, um, dirty, uh, unclean. And so there is a washing in order to make something clean, uh, taking away the filth. Obviously, we're talking about sins, and so we talk about this being a washing away of sins. Uh, in one particular place, it says, go and wash away your sins, referring to, to holy baptism. And then it talks about a new birth. Hmm, now that's a different thing. What is that? Well, we had a first birth. We were born to our parents, probably in a hospital. Um, and there, uh, you uh, began your separate existence, your new birth, uh, um, imparting, you would say, your, your independent life that, that, that you have been given. And yet, we're going to talk about how with that new birth, or with that first birth, you inherit a, a, a predisposition to sin. We call it concupiscence, so the original sin that causes us to have thoughts and words and deeds that are wrong. By itself, the scriptures say, without God's help, we would by nature deserve God's wrath. That's what we would have. But we've got a new birth. A new birth. What is this? This is a spiritual birth. This is a second birth, a birth that comes by water and the word in which God uh, gives us new life. We talk about a new Adam. The old Adam was the one that brought us in. This new Adam, this new birth, this new spirit given to us predisposes us to want to do good or right because we believe in Christ out of thankfulness. Um, and so this new birth um, now makes us a child of God. The first birth made us a child of our parents. This makes us a child of God. So, can, can you be saved by the, new, by the old birth? No, but you can by the new. So, when it pulls out this imagery, and we're going to see it in the very next Titus 3, and it says, this is a washing of new birth in the Holy Spirit. In other words, by the washing away of sins, we get a new birth. It puts these two things together um, with this. Titus 3, 5 through 8. Here's what it says. Repeat after me. He saved us, he saved us. Through, the washing of rebirth through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So first of all, when it's talking about this washing of rebirth and renewal, it's talking about baptism. And when it talks about baptism, it says, He saved us kind of technical, but I think you're going to follow me. There's a noun, and it is the subject of the sentence. And the noun, which is the subject of the sentence, is he. Who does that refer to? Christ. God, Christ, right. And the subject always does the verb. Saved. 
Who did the subject? God. Who did he save? Us. When we talk about baptism, who's doing the stuff? God is doing the verb. He saved us. When did he do that? When we were baptized. Baptism is not our doing where we come before God and say, let me do something great and show you how much I really believe and trust in you, whatever. No, it's where we come and get water put on us and the, and the name so that he saved us. Baptism is God's work. He saved us. How did he do it? Through the washing of rebirth, I've already described this washing and rebirth, it adds something else in Titus 3, this washing of rebirth and renewal. We are made new again. That is, we were new in the Garden of Eden, we fell into sin, we need to, and everyone after that has gotten this sinful nature, we needed to be made new again. He is writing what was wrong. This is a washing which does that. It gives us a renewal. Um, every now and then there are, uh, usually it's in the summer times, uh, churches will set up a tent and they'll have a what? A revival. All right. Uh, um, now, the word revive would be to make alive again. It's actually a pretty good word uh, um, with that. When we talk about renewal, it's almost the exact same thing of giving us life again, making us new, washing away the sin. We had lost the image of God, now the image of God is returned to us, so we have righteousness. But for Lutherans, based upon what the scripture says, and we're going to get to that tonight, this renewal, this reviving is something that God does, and it's something that we trust in God's doing, and so we go back to his doing again and again and again. Do we need to be revived all the time? Not just once every now and then, but all the time we need to be going back to what God has made life, given new life again, given made new again. Um, this is, this is our entire life. It's not, it's not an occasional something or another. Usually, uh, um, when others talk about kind of a, a, a revival, it is a recommit yourself again. It is get yourself worked up again. It is trying to get back on the road again. It is, oh, I was going this way, but I backslid. Um, you know, what do we say? We say, God save me, and... <laughs> I turned and went the other way and messed things up. I have to go, God, I have to return to forgiveness again. Um, it's not just a, a, um, a little sliding back, but I'm, I'm still doing pretty well. No, I need him always. So, um, rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Next part, whom he poured out on us generously. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So there we see the graciousness, the pouring out, being generous, not just a little bit. So that having been justified by his grace, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs. We might become heirs. If you're an heir, you're a son of the king, you're one of his children, you're an heir. Having the hope of eternal life. Having the hope of eternal life. 
this is a trustworthy saying. This is a trustworthy saying. So it's worthy of our trust. Baptism is something that you trust in. You trust in what God said about it. You trust in what God did in your baptism. Let's go on to question four. What does such baptizing with water indicate? Now, by this word indicate, what does it show? Or what does it teach? Or how does it have an effect for my life in the future? This baptism happened once. Now, how does, it, how, how does this work out? It indicates, it indicates that the old Adam in us should by daily contrition and repentance be drowned and die with all sins and evil desires. So it starts off by saying what happens? It indicates what happened once in your baptism indicates what your entire Christian life is going to be about. It's going to be a continual dying to sin and rising again. It's going to be a continual daily contrition, that is, sorrow over sin, a repentance, confessing in Christ, or, or confessing my sins, so that I say, yeah, that sin which I did, that word that I said, that action that I did, that thought that I did, uh, that's wrong, I don't like it, I'm taking it to baptism. Because there that sin is forgiven. There that sin is taken away. So whenever sin pops up, you go, I've been baptized. I'm going right back to my, I'm trusting in what God said about that baptism. So it indicates that all through our life, we're going to keep putting the old Adam to death. Now, I would like to tell you that the old Adam dies and then he's gone. But he doesn't. Um, he is all, we carry him with us. Um, until finally, at our death, we are freed from our sinful nature. Um, I like the imagery of a ball and chain, the old Adam. He's chained to us, and you know what? Wherever we go, we drag him along, and he keeps coming along. Um, I keep saying I don't like it. I keep confessing it. I keep putting it down, but I don't finally get free of it until my resurrection. So, that's the first part of, of question four. Let's get the last part and the uh, Bible passage. So, should by daily contrition and repentance be drowned and die with all sins and evil desires? Next part, and that a new man should daily emerge and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. So, not only do we say, I'm sorrow, I have sorrow over that sin, I'm sorry for that sin, not only do we confess that and say, that's wrong, I don't like that, I belong to God, I'm, I'm asking God to take that away, we also daily, as it says here, have a new man arise. What does that mean? Through faith in Christ, we return to this new man, which it's new desires, and say, I want to please God. That's where I'm going. Um, and so this new man daily emerges and arises to do what is right and good. Just like in baptism, you die to sin and you're given a new birth. 
every day, every night at your bed as you kneel down, say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. Uh, um, take me as your child. I've been baptized. That's what we do with our baptism. It happens once, but we make use of it all of the time. Um, okay, so how do we make use of this? Well, we remember the promises. By faith, we trust in what God has said about that. Probably the, the biggest way to remember the promises is in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We remember the words that were said and say, yeah, I am a child of God. I've been baptized. Um, you know, when, when Luther says things like, when something terrible happens, you know, a storm is coming in or... or uh, you're, you're expecting great danger or whatever, Luther says for the Christian to cross themselves and to trust in God. He's not saying that this is kind of like some magic act or whatever. He's saying, what do you do? You say, I belong to Jesus. I've been forgiven. I'm a child of God. Whatever happens at this point, I ask the Lord to protect and provide me. Um, and if my life should end, take me to heaven. Um, so that's what he is. That gets us question three and four, gets us through one, two, three, and four uh, completely. Um, this one baptism, water and the word, faith trusting in the promise, and then how that results, what does it indicate? It indicates that this is the way we live. We're not holy rollers where somehow we're without sin. We're people who are always confessing our sins and always going back uh, uh, to that new man, the new desires. Questions? All right, let me light the candles and we'll begin. Page 224. O oh Lord, open my lips. And my mouth declare your praise. Make haste, O oh God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O oh Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Praise to you, O Christ. Alleluia. You may be seated. The reading is on the back of your white bulletin. It's the gospel reading for this coming Sunday, John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing twenty or thirty gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. 
When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is God's word. Our hymn is hymn number 77. take a look at the topic of marriage. We can take a look at the actual uh, events of, of, of the story and what happens. Uh, we can also take a look at the spiritual or even symbolic significance, um, for there is much that is uh, uh, there teaching us about the Christian faith. Um, uh, simply put, concerning the first, dealing with marriage, first of all, 
Jesus begins his ministry at age 30. You might remember we talked about age 12. He went to the temple but went back home with his mother. It's age 30. He begins his ministry. He is baptized. He immediately has got 40 days in the wilderness of uh, battling the devil, defeats him. He uh, begins to call disciples. At the time of the wedding, he's probably only got six as far as the, you know, the account uh, uh, goes. Uh, Andrew and Simon, James and John, Nathaniel, and someone else. About six. Um, he's just started his ministry. He's just started his preaching and teaching and miracles. And, well, there's a wedding. Would you have expected him to, to stop and go to a wedding? Really? Um, my kids started school this week, and then all of a sudden, you know, well, all right, they got Monday off, Martin Luther King. I go, what? Come on, you just started. Now you're not going to have taken a day off already, you know? Um, Jesus, why would he do this? He was invited? Didn't want to say no? Um, who else? Pastor? That's when the <laughs> I assume it was a family friend. Or family friend? Oh, yeah. Member of the family. Basically. Absolutely. He was um, in charge of the, of the drinks, so obviously somebody important. We got Mary there. She's there, so it's obviously kind of a family friend. Or later on we find out that the master doesn't know about the water turned to wine, but Mary already knows, and she knew that they were even out of wine. I mean, she appears to almost be catering the meal. Um, God created the man and woman. He instituted marriage. You're right. It's one of the very first things. Is this a blessing? Yes. Do you go and celebrate it? You bet. When someone receives God's good gifts, Jesus says, of course. Um, would you come to a wedding? Yeah, I'll come and celebrate that God is going to unite a man and a woman in marriage. I'm going to, I'm going to talk about this. This is, a, this is a wonderful, good thing uh, that is going on. Uh, for those who would say that, yes, Jesus was strict. And he was saying, you know, Jesus said, no, there's time to rejoice. There are times, this, this life is not, God didn't come to take away all joy. He came to give us joy and a right joy. The marriage feast is even a picture of heaven. So, you know, this is, uh, this is Jesus going, rejoicing in a gift, um, you know, eating, dancing, doing whatever, whatever you do at a wedding. Um, of course you're going to do this. This is, this is not something where Jesus would say, well, that doesn't fit with my ministry and, you know, I can't. No, absolutely not. Um, we could say much more with this, but, but, but this passage is often brought up about the importance uh, that Jesus, God, attaches to, to marriage. All right, so he gets to the uh, marriage feast. He's got some of his uh, disciples, around six of them. Um, they're at the wedding. Things are going on. And it says they ran out of wine. It's a problem. Um, big problem? Well, for a wedding it is. You know, it's kind of like going to a dance and not having any music. I mean, it just, 
how are you going to rejoice? How are you going to celebrate? What are you going, you know, it's not that they had, you know, uh, packs of Coca-Cola or something around. I mean, this is what you drank. This is also what purified the water. You cut it. I mean, um, this was all for rejoicing. So, yes, uh, um, in one sense this is. Can you have a marriage without it? Well, of course you can. Um, but uh, this is about uh, rejoicing. They have no wine. They ran out of wine. Jesus' mother is the one that comes to him. And she tells him they have no wine. Um, first of all, as I said, she's at the wedding, and she's the one that knows about this. I, I think there's something more going on. I think she's catering. I think she, or, or at least as a close friend of the family, is, is invited in and is asked to, would you help out and would you do this? Uh, she knows about the situation. Where does she go? Somebody can fix it. To go to, she goes to somebody. How does she know that he can fix it? Yes, yeah, she knows exactly who he is. Um, and, you know, is she expecting a miracle? Well, I don't think she's come to him because he's got lots of money. Uh, um, he's a poor itinerant preacher, you know, and, and, and she knows. Um, now, it hasn't been that long. He's been with her for 30 years. We got 40 days. We got some calling of the disciples. We've got, I don't know, how long has it been? Maybe two months. I, maybe not even that. And they're back together. They're at, back at a wedding. Um, he's got his disciples there. Go, go tell Jesus. She does. What does Jesus say? He says to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? What is this about you and me? What does, does this have to do with us, us, our relationship, you and me? What's their relationship? Mother and son. Mother and son is their relationship. At least it's been for 30 years. Um, at this point, you know, she's probably made it a habit of coming to him. And now she goes, okay, go, go ask Jesus, go, and, and yes. Um, his response to her is not, it's not offensive. He doesn't say hag or something like that. Uh, um, but he doesn't call her mother. Hmm. He says, dear woman, I, 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 woman, uh, um, why does he call her that? The Savior. He has now begun his role as being the Savior. At this point, for her to come and say, I'm going to play the mother card, he says, no, you, you can't play that card anymore. Um, it is not, that's not the relationship by which I will answer your request. Now you are coming to me, you are praying to me, you are coming to me. And so at this point, mother of Jesus doesn't cut it. And by his response to her, respectful as it is, he lays aside the mother and says, no, woman. Now, what about this? Um, is this a mother-son thing? Is this a fourth commandment issue? 
He says, no, it isn't. And then he goes on to say, my hour has not yet come. What is this hour talk? What hour is he waiting for? Um, is he saying, oh, it's not quite dinner time yet. Wait till five and I'll do something. No. What does he mean by hour? Jane? Yes, but he's revealing himself by the water being turned into wine. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, I know. You start to put it together, and you kind of go, well, now, a lot of people come, and they say, have mercy on me, and ask for help, and he heals them, and different things like that. Is he just saying, I'll do it in my time, not yours? I think that's a part of it. Absolutely. But I think, I think he's going, he, I think he definitely would say that, and I would say that she didn't tell him that you have to do this right now either. And that goes to her credit. In fact, I would say it goes much more to her credit that she doesn't tell him how to get this done either. She simply tells him, they have no wine. You, you know, if you're going, you'll take care of this. She's not the intercessor. <laughs> Contrary to Roman Catholic thought, which tells you you go to Mary and that's the way you get Jesus to answer your stuff, this passage tells us the exact opposite. Because she is his mother, no special treatment. Nope. You won't get your prayers answered. His hour is Good Friday. His hour is Good Friday. He tells it, and, and that's in, in the scriptures, the next time you have this hour coming, it is the hour in which he has finished our, his suffering and death on our behalf in which he sets us free and gives us what? All joys and eternal and everything. The point of him being at his point of glory where he supplies for us these things, that hour has not yet come. Anything which he does before and with this, uh, um, he does of his own graciousness and mercy. Um, when, 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 when that hour comes, he, he will have shown himself, having done all the work that he needed to do, he will now be the intercessor, the savior of all. At this point yet, it, it, it's as if it's too soon. It's as if there will be a point at which you'll get the marriage feast and we will have all the joys of heaven. And at this point, well, it's not yet come to that. If you're Mary, you think he's going to do something? Do you go, whoa? I asked him and he says this. Do you stomp your feet and run off? Well, now he thinks he's high and mighty and he's not answering and he won't. Jane? <laughs> she gets it. Is the relationship changed? Okay, I understand. You want to call me woman? Fine. I am a woman coming to you with a request. Um, can, I, can I demand that you do this? Fourth commandment says, honor and obey. If we're talking about the Savior, we always come asking for mercy. We always come asking, if your will will be done, what do you want? 
What does she do? She shows that she understands exactly what he's saying. She shows that she still has faith in him as the savior, not just as her son, but as the savior. And she says, no, he's the savior. He loves, he will be merciful and kind if that is the best thing to do. She turns to the servant and says, whatever he tells you, do it. She fully expects his love and mercy to, and you know, granted she leaves it up. If he doesn't say, well, then he knows what's best. And that, that would be also loving and merciful. But she holds to him. She shows that so often for us, we feel as if God is not answering. We feel as if God has turned away from us, as if he is telling us no. But that's not what he's saying. There are many times in which he's trying to teach us, teach us our relationship, teach us about his mercy, teach us about how uh, we can make it through this and to rely upon him in the midst of suffering and affliction or whatever. Don't give up. Like Mary, you hold, hold on to him because you know he is the loving Savior. You know he wants to help. Um, and that's what she does as well. Um, whatever he says to you, do it. What happens? Six stone, says jars of stone water jars. What are these water jars for? They're for hand washing. Why? Well, not just physical kind of hand washing, although that served that purpose as well. It was a ceremonial hand washing. It was a hand washing of unclean and clean. It was one in which the law said, you are supposed to do this. And so, in order to fulfill the law and do the things that God had said, you wash your hands. It's a menial work. It's commanded work. It's that which you have to do. And there they are. Jesus takes the stone water jars, six of them, and says, fill them up. Fill them up. They fill them up to the brim. Having filled them up to the brim, he says, take some to the master of the feast. And so they do. Um, with almost no words about this, you understand that the water has been turned to wine. Uh, somewhere along the way, Jesus has done this. How much has he provided? Uh, 20 to 30, uh, let's say 25 gallons, six jars. We're looking at 100. 50 gallons. Yeah, Mark drinks a little wine, but not 150 a week? About a week. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, so what is God providing? He is providing for this, and not just any wine. We find out it is the good wine. Um, the master of the feast, the one who is kind of in charge of things, doesn't know about this. Mary knew. She took care of it. Uh, um, and so he tasted and says, hey, you messed up. You messed up. Normally you give them the good wine first. After the party's gone on for a couple hours, you bring out the other wine. They're not going to know that it's not quite as good uh, uh, because wine gladdens the heart, of course. It, this is not a matter of drunkenness. It's simply a matter of this is the way you do things. But he says, you kept the best wine for last. Jesus is the best. Jesus and his forgiveness and all that he provides at the end times. We live in the end times. We live in the time in which we've got the best. We've got the forgiveness. We've got the New Testament. We've got all of the explanations. You know, we talk about John the Baptist didn't understand everything. We got it. 
We know it now. Um, of what? And so the best has been uh, kept until last. It says that this was a sign. John never uses the word miracle in his gospel. He always uses the word sign. A sign is something that is of itself, but it points to something else. Jesus turning water into wine lets us point to Jesus isn't just true man because he couldn't do this. He must be true God and true man. Uh, it points to much more. It's, it's a sign pointing forward. And it says the disciples who thought he was the Savior, who followed him because he said, because they believed in him with this sign? Yes, absolutely. This confirms this. They, they, they believe. They trust in it. Um, it says that the servants knew, the master didn't know. Uh, Jesus does this in Cana uh, of Galilee. His first miracle is at a wedding feast. Question about the facts. So let's talk about some more that goes with it. Um, first of all, we've got stone water jars. Something else is made of stone in the Old Testament. The Ten Commandments were written on hard, cold stone. The law... It's not life-giving. It's not a heart of flesh. It's not a person. It's a law, and it's hard and stone. These are ceremonial water jars. These are the law. What does Jesus say? Fill them up to the brim. What does he do? He fulfills the law for us. He fills it up to the top. Um, and then once he has fulfilled it, his perfectly keeping the law for us and then it produces from it not water, but wine, joy, the joy of forgiveness, the joy of eternal life. Jesus turns the law into the means by which he gives us salvation. And so he talks about now we have, looking forward to the marriage feast of the Lamb and his kingdom which will have no end. Um, like Mary, we come to Jesus with our, our prayers. We trust him uh, that he will uh, provide uh, for us. Um, Mary, as in our stained glass window, the bottom right one, uh, it's the symbol of Pentecost. Uh, you have the 12 apostles. You have Peter standing up with the scriptures and preaching. Uh, you also have uh, the 12 with that. Who are they preaching to? Well, we put a woman there. Usually Mary is put in blue. It's kind of a, a, a way of signifying her in, in pictures. Um, she's a symbol of the church. She is that which receives the word of God just like she receives Jesus uh, from the angel Gabriel who announces you're going to have the child. She said, let it be to me, and she became pregnant, received him uh, to herself. Uh, so also she is the woman who symbolizes the church. New Testament talks that way, or Book of Revelation as well, that the church is like a woman who receives the gift or just like a woman receives the seed from the man and so it uh, has this birth, this new life grows in us. Um, she receives this. She has true faith. What does she say to the servants? Preach 
Do whatever he says. The servants are the pastors. They are the ministers. And what are they to do? Whatever Jesus says. The pastor is given to preach Jesus. He is not to be responsible to anyone else, but he is to do whatever Jesus says, and that is what he is given to do, the preaching of the law and the gospel. And so we see, aha, wow, uh, um, this is, is the way that it is going to be in his church. It kind of scratches the surface. Uh, any questions? Prayers this evening. What do we ask God, thank him for, praise him for, confess? Based upon this, uh, this reading for tonight. Absolutely. And we can know that. What a comfort. Yes, the, the best of last is the forgiveness of sins. That's the good wine. That's which That gives joy that goes beyond a little wine. Um, absolutely. Confess that we ought to be asking Jesus more often. Um, telling him our concerns, our issues, what we have run out of, asking him to supply for us, um, whether it is faith or, or patience or uh, uh, finances or whatever it is that the Lord needs to, uh, uh, asking him that his will might be done. All right, our yellow sheet, uh, we'll do our responsive prayer for catechesis. Please stand. Holy God, holy and most gracious Father, you shall have no other gods. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. He says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers, to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, from thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. As the apple of your eye, hide me under the shadow of your wings. Let my vindication come from your presence. Let your eyes look on the things that are upright. You have tested my heart. You have visited me in the night. You have tried me and have found nothing. I have purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. Concerning the works of men, by the word of your lips, I have kept away from the paths of the destroyers. Uphold my steps in your paths, that my footsteps may not slip. I have fallen on you, for you will hear me. Show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand. O you who save those who trust in you from those who rise up against them. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning is now and will be forever. Amen. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, who governs all things in heaven and earth, mercifully hear the supplications of your people and grant us your peace all the days of our life. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give thanks that your will for us is always loving and good, and you wish to shower your blessings upon us. Help us uh, that we may not uh, come with any kind of uh, merit or relationship, but instead uh, trust that you are merciful and gracious uh, and know that you will uh, provide for your uh, baptized children. We ask it through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The final petition. O Lord and lover of men, cause the pure light of thy divine knowledge to shine forth in our hearts and open the eyes of our understanding that we may comprehend the precepts of thy gospel. Plant in us also the fear of thy blessed commandments, 
that we, trampling upon all carnal lusts, may seek a heavenly citizenship, both saying and doing always such things as shall well please thee, for thou art the illumination of our souls and bodies, Christ our God, and to thee we ascribe glory and praise, now and forever. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. The Lord bless us, defend us from all evil, and bring us to everlasting life.